this is the grassy knoll on um, Remnant Radio coming to you from Boulder City, Nevada, uh, courtesy of uh, Paul Pilgrim. And um, Paul, uh, uh, can I assume that uh, we got Dr. Ellen Lachter on the other end? Ellen is waiting. Yes. All right. Um, I want to introduce Dr. Ellen Lachter. She's been on before. Um, did a great job dealing with victims of ritual abuse. Uh, we're going to expand that a little bit more and um, also uh, offer a, a question by a listener um, that was kind of in the same ballpark that Ellen and I talked to, uh, talked about off mic. And so, uh, Dr. Lachter, thank you very much for coming back to the Knoll. Of course. Okay. Of course, not necessarily. You can always... <laughs> Happy to. All right. Um, again, we're not. This is not in the germane to what we had said in the outline that we discussed and agreed on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the listener, um, you know, it's just one of those people that when when he says something, um, I like to address it. Mm-hmm. We talked off mic, as I remember, about this whole bit about implants and RFID, and whether or not they could somewhat affect behavior and specifically at the time I was thinking about this it was about battlefield behavior could you make a soldier uh, more aggressive could you make him uh, uh, less uh, susceptible to fatigue and you said that there was something that you thought mechanically with a chip that really couldn't do that could you explain that to us in a sense in layman's terms well um, a lot of people are concerned that um a chip of some kind that's implanted in the brain could send thoughts to them or read their thoughts. And a chip is a way of working. And the brain has a completely different chemical and morphological way of working. The two forms of communication for the brain, it's uh, all these different chemicals and neurons and dendrites and axons. And okay. Are you still with us? I, I'm, am I losing her? Or? Do you hear me? Uh, you were fading out a little bit. Um, I have like an echo on mine. All right. Um, no, we'll go ahead with your thought. And I, and I want to ask specifically what this About person... the aggressive behavior. Well, or this whole bit about can a chip do something that could, yeah, um, do, uh, affect one's behavior or... Well, um, okay, I, I don't believe you can transmit thoughts into a brain through a chip. You could have some kind of radio receiver where it would actually be coming in through the auditory system just like as if the person were whispering something to you in your ear, but um, you can't communicate into a chip and have a have the brain anatomy be able to read that. Now, could you stick a chip somewhere in the temporal lobe or in the amygdala or some part of the brain that um, relates to feelings of aggression and potentially send an electrical stimulus to, uh, you know, um, stimulate that part of the brain to feel more aggressive at the moment but not really have control about how that's going to be expressed, possibly. Mm-hmm. But I, I have a feeling that could be um, pretty uncontrolled. It would be kind of like a temporal lobe seizure where people that have that condition just fly into a rage and they, they don't know what they're smashing or who they're hitting. It wouldn't be very effective. All right, well, here's what the question was uh, specifically. And I said to the person, uh, well, I wrote to the person uh, via email, that um, uh, you you know you you spoke to this before if I've got it right because you know I'm a dumbhead when it comes to science, but here's the um, the email the person uh, wrote uh, positing a possible scenario, which made me want to at least run that by you, Doc, and it said um, let me see where can I pick it up. All right, let's say uh, Tamiflu can contribute to the virus having more lethal mutations, and the evildoers will then release a new virus that will attack neuromuscular control, paralysis, and the loss of cognitive function. After millions die or become paralyzed because of this new mutation, the games really begin. All right, now he's, he's pausing a scenario. Now, last graph. warfare here so far. What's that? 
biological warfare. What is it? Uh, agreeable, yes. And okay. his, his is second and last paragraph. Mm -hmm. It will be released to the world that the BMES, Engineering Research Center, has found a cure, and it will be a chip that uses intelligent analog circuits, interface technology at the nano and micro scales to integrate microelectronic systems with neurons. We now have a biometric slash biomedical system that will protect us. Now, he was, he was throwing it out there, and in fact, the name of the email he called Wild Theory, and I'm saying not necessarily so, but let's, let's run this by you. So, um, with what I've read, uh, could, could you address uh, the plausibility of such a thing? Okay, I'm not totally clear. I understand everything that that person is saying, but I, I do believe you can stimulate a general area to, uh, for instance, um, okay, the parts of the brain that uh, perceive or that process um, tactile stimuli, you could probably find... Uh, I'm pretty sure this could be done. Find the, the place in the brain, because this is already fairly mapped out where, let's say, the foot is. And you could put a, um, a some type of a little chip in there that would uh, electrically stimulate the, that part of the brain so that the person would perceive sensation in their foot. So, so but, but you can't... So, so in other words, you can increase sensation. Maybe there's something you can do to decrease sensation. Um, you can. You could probably do the same with uh, cause the hand to jerk, cause the hand to stop. But a thought, uh, um, a complex thought, even uh, walk three feet to the right. I do not believe um, the brain could interpret anything from a chip because it's just. The brain has these um, axons and dendrites that go all over the place. Each neuron has all these dendrites that connect to all these other neurons, and they spread out. So some might be right next to it, some might be far away. How could a chip? A chip would have to be everywhere the cells are. I, I just don't think it even makes any logical sense. Are you there? Hello? Hello? Oh, I'm sorry. I should turn things on. Uh, no, yeah. I, I wanted to run that by you. Thank you for uh, awaking me from my sleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, I wanted to run that by you because, it's, unfortunately, this idea, um, and, and maybe, maybe somewhere down the line, God knows we'll be around for it. It could be a possibility. But, you know, so many are, are freaking out now about this, and... You know, I, I just think that there has to be some kind of voice of at least causality and practicality that can say, you know, probably not now. Now, the listener who sent that, Doc, um, was just, you know, positing it and said, well, this is a wild theory. And I'm saying, uh, I'm not so sure. But again, as you said to me months ago, that whole idea of, of the chip's ability to do certain things is probably still the province of... Um, science fiction or paranoia, uh, but really not practical for uh, all intents and purposes right now, right? I think, yes, science fiction, paranoia, where people who have fear from some other source, and they can't figure out why I'm so afraid, because maybe it's associated, maybe they were programmed and programmed not to remember. They know that they feel afraid all the time, so they're going, why am I afraid, why am I afraid? They're looking all around them, and they're going, maybe I'm being targeted. Maybe there's, you know, all these global things. Maybe everybody is doing something to me. Maybe somebody's sending um, electromagnetic waves to me. Uh, you know, they're trying to make their mind is trying to make sense of the fear that they experience. So they, some, and if they feel intense fear, then they become afraid that somebody's actually in their mind or communicating to their mind or watching their every thought. And, and actions from inside of their mind, so it's kind of a understandable um, thing for them to hang the fear on, but that might be um, complicated by deliberate disinformation, um, lots and lots of information about all these tips that you read your mind and send thoughts to you. Maybe that's um, done by some of the people who want 
they are victims of torture-based mind control to think that that's what's going on and to think that they can be watched to that degree. And sometimes they actually deliberately program people um, in these mind control projects or co-program their people to believe that they have chips in their mind. Lots of people are programmed to believe there are chips in their mind. Well, well, there's a lot of that going around, and um, I don't, I don't know if you think this is unfair. That's fine. We don't have to address it. Um, I have had people on who are adamant that they have been harassed electronically or uh, psychotronically, uh, and I kind of believe them. Uh, as far as what your experience with, uh, you know, ritual abuse victims, are are you seeing that? Can you resonate with the fact that that in fact is taking place? Okay, I, I think um, it's very possible to be zapped from relative, relatively short range by, you know, in the same way that you could be hit with a bullet. That some, somebody who may be wishing harm could, I, I don't know a whole lot about um, these kinds of things, but could zap you with some kind of microwave or something um, if they specifically targeted you. But I don't believe that you can have um, uh, something on the 12th floor of some high-rise sending out waves that will specifically um, hurt particular victims in a whole large community. Could you, could you do something energetically, you know, using some kind of energy and affect a whole city and everybody starts, you know, getting the effect of it? Probably. Mm -hmm. Specifically target. I, I just don't understand how that can happen. All right. Well, fair enough. And um, you know, it, it may not be uh, taking place right now, but someone has to speak to that. And I'm glad at least you pitch in to a certain degree because, uh, as I said, um, this was spurred on by by a listener saying, "Is this a plausible situation?" Uh, I can only think that it might be in the future. But as you said when we last spoke that this kind of connectivity is not really possible now. It may not be possible forever, but you're right. Uh, if the thought is in the person's mind, then that, may, that, that might be all you need to do what you want to do. You know what I mean? That's right. Um, and I do know people who were initially terrified that they were being somehow zapped by everyone in their neighborhood and everybody in every car and every employer and every person at the supermarket or whatever eventually did find out that, in fact, they had dissociated personalities who were working against the main part of the person to maintain their involvement in some kind of abusive cult that was hurting people and hurting them. And those parts of them were submissive to the leaders of that cult and that they were running off in the middle of the night. And that's why they were waking up with sores and pain and, you know, bleeding and all of the Mm -hmm. So I, I know that the bad guys on the cult side take advantage of those that way of thinking. Can, can I? Do I have the scientific background to say what kinds of electromagnetic targeting are possible and which ones aren't? No. Do I have enough understanding of the brain to say that human thought cannot be read by a chip? I think I do. And, and I thank you for addressing that. Now, uh, if we can move along to the agenda and something that you always know piqued my interest um, when we were, we were emailing and, and deciding way back when what we would talk about and that I couldn't let go by without you addressing it and, uh, and how it relates to the work that you do, uh, by all means. And that is, uh, and, and this is what the Collins brothers who were on just before you were saying, that as you stated, um, there is no one Illuminati or one world order. Every group wants to portray itself as the most illuminated and ultimately the world ruler. Are, okay, now, there are different groups out there who seek uh, world government? Yes, there are many, many, many different kinds of groups. Um, some have ethnic agendas, some have spiritual agendas like Satanists and Luciferians and uh, witches that practice abuse. I'm not talking about Wiccans, but I'm talking about, some people call it black witchcraft, or I call it abusive witchcraft. Um, those people want to run the world for, the, for those witches. The male witches want to run the world and don't want anybody else, including the female witches, to have 
to be on Earth. The female witches want, they want to own and run and live on the world with no one else, including no male witches. And how they reproduce is Fred Flintstone-like. I don't, <laughs> it's absurd. Uh-huh. Um, there are there, the ethnic agendas, uh, like the Aryan agenda and other ethnic agendas where only our race um, is worthy to live on this world and everybody else shouldn't be here. There's those people, they want to own the world. There are moneyed groups who want to own the world. There are military groups who want to run the world. There are national groups. They all want the whole world for themselves. Sort of like the way history has been with, you know, <laughs> uh, people taking over other people's land, you know, for thousands of years. Well, whereas uh, I I really didn't play, I, for lack of better words, devil's advocate with the Collinses, um, I, I more or less believe, like William Cooper did, and you need not know who he was. Yeah, I didn't know something about that. Do you know Cooper? Uh, that, that's the, um, I know I've read something about some document that got dug up out of some uh, cabinet, file cabinet or something. Is that it? Um, it was some kind of Illuminati agenda from a million years ago. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm not as familiar with Cooper as I probably should be. But he did do an extensive series, um, audio-wise, about the Mystery Babylon religions and how they went on. Um, but what he said was, uh, Doc, and that is, when you realize who's at the root of this, it is simple. And in a sense, I really do believe that. Um, and yet, like when the Collinses were on just before you, the two brothers, uh, they were saying, you know, well, it isn't just as smooth and unified as you think it might be, using you in the rhetorical sense. But I will subscribe to the fact that I think uh, it is pretty much um, a smooth situation. However, having said that, and because of what you uh, emailed and what we spoke about a little bit, you're telling me also that there are competing groups and that uh, not necessarily all things are great in their paradise. Right, exactly. The, um, these groups weaken each other. That be, because they are infiltrating each other, they want to know what kind of mind control the other one uses. They want to find out the other one's plans, the other one's date when they plan to do things. By the way, a lot of their big big dates all pass between 1998 and about 2004. There were all kinds, a lot of these groups had takeover dates um, planned. And because there was no kind of cataclysmic event that uh, weakened a lot of the people as they anticipated, they didn't kick into action. And a lot of the prophecies for a lot of these groups about um, some th- things that they thought would happen either Earth-wise, you know, moon star Earth, or mm-hmm. people-wise, a lot of their predictions... It didn't happen, or well, for Satanists, Satan was supposed to come and take over before, right before the millennium. Okay. And Satan didn't come and take over, so their little plan of takeover failed. And so, a lot of these groups, their their um, big secret date that they were going to take over the world has come and gone, and the um, personalities that had believed that they had better be loyal to the leaders in that group in order to be one of the few who got to survive, those personalities are starting to question the power and illumination or, or, or knowledge of the, the leaders of their group. A lot of these people are really in turmoil right now because they need help. They don't know where to go for help. Um, and very often the host doesn't even know that there's a whole other set of personalities inside that are feeling this way. Um, but meanwhile, they're suicidal and they're depressed and they're scared and they're having all kinds of symptoms that they can't explain. Um, I, I never press you on this, and it's not—I re- mean, it's—it's it's not important that you know there's a right answer. But you—you mm-hmm. you have been in this work for so long. Um, spiritually, uh, are you kind of? Uh, convinced or not convinced that there is a Satan, perhaps, that uh, of the biblical proportion that uh, we all, well, some of us believe in? Um, I, okay, I, I go mostly by what 
I have personally, um, when, when I work with survivors and the information that I synthesize from the very deep work when I feel that I'm getting uh, completely trustworthy um, information, I'm very skeptical and I kind of um, scrutinize and question and keep all hypotheses running. And I do that for a long time before I, I formulate a conclusion. But where I, where I personally am right now is that I do believe that there are um, evil entities. Um, I don't believe... Uh, I, I don't have any evidence that Satan, per se, is truly any more powerful than the others. Okay. Uh, be, because I do believe that um, all of these things are relatively ineffective if you're not afraid. Um, I believe that, that you do have control over them by your will. And that you can simply say, by, by your will and by your doing right, by your not doing evil, you can just say you you're not allowed to be here and they have to go no matter how big and bad they may want to be they actually have very little power that's my opinion okay and, and you know you were very good about looking at um some photos that were sent to me that i sent to you mm -hmm. and you and um uh, Stephen ogilvy yes um took a look at them but what this began was a little uh discussion and I thought it very interesting, and I, I just want to read it in the notes, uh, because you made a, a, a dichotomy between some of the occult behavior that's going on. And I'm going to read this cold, but, but in the notes you said, usually the occult parents sell their kids to the espionage slash criminal slash ethnic slash political groups to earn money and infiltrate the other group to learn their programming and other secrets. Where... I think there is something else, and I think we talked about it a little bit, where there might be a recruitment, perhaps uh, Freemasons and such. Uh, can you speak to that? I mean, because obviously this is not going to come as news to, to our listeners because of what we've heard from Kathleen Sullivan and Russ Dizdar. Uh, and it really is true that the, true, the real meat of the occultism is family-bred, is it not? Yes, yes. I, I think these groups are um, involved in... So many um, imprisonable acts, uh, murdering uh, babies and children and adults, um, child pornography, child prostitution, uh, you know, they cannot risk allowing a person in who has not been controlled through terror and dissociation their whole life. So what I mean by terror and dissociation is that um, if you hurt and terrify, severely hurt and terrify a baby, you will reliably create a dissociated part. A, a, a person's psyche cannot um, bear a certain amount of pain and terror. So when it crosses that line into the unbearable, uh, another, the, the main part of the person will um, let's say, hide within somehow. Some people say that's psychological. Some, some people say it's spiritual also. And another part will take over. That part has the job of withstanding pain and handling terror. And that is the part that is um, shaped to, hold, to, to function within the underground criminal act the underground criminal life of the cult. Um, and then I would say as much effort as, um, or as much time and effort as is spent um, sexually abusing that child or worshiping whatever deities that group worships, an equal amount of time is, is spent on programming that part to never leak information to the host, to um, be terrified of ever telling or remembering or talking don't talk, don't tell, remember uh, remember to forget, forget to remember, all these kinds of programming. 
Um, so what you end up with is a highly controlled person. That person you can risk being used for child prostitution, being used um, uh, in ceremonies in which people are sacrificed. But you can't take a, um, a 15-year-old kid who's playing around with uh, Dracula imagery and vampire ideas, etc., and really, truly get control of that person unless they have completely dissociated identities who can be manipulated. Well, let me ask you about this. I mean, uh, we, we speak about it, I don't want to say glibly, but the whole era of uh, milk carton children, uh, I can't believe they're all missing in the sense of that nobody really knows where they are and that they may be the victims of um, sex slavery or other things. Uh, what's your feelings on exactly what's happening with a lot of the missing children today? Well, um, I, okay. I think that the, um, the cults have gotten more careful. I think there are, I, I don't know the statistics, but I would guess that there are less um, truly uh, missing children. I think, you know, a lot of kids, of course, are taken in custody disputes. Uh, right. But but you know children that are taken for the pur for the purposes of abuse or murder, um, not that that doesn't happen in custody disputes too. No, but, that's true, right? But but you know when it happens for purposes of you know for criminal purposes primarily, um, I I think that the cults are are instead um, I think I think they have a few main sources for their sacrificial victims. One is um, infants or fetuses, so before their full term, of, of their own cult members. So these may be uh, um, girls that um, are homeschooled or, you know, where other people don't see that they're pregnant. They can force delivery and sacrifice that baby. Um, I think that they pull children in a lot from Mexico. Um, okay to bring them across the border and use them. Um, and I and I know for a fact that sometimes homeless people are used. So if you have a uh, completely indigent, wandering 50-year-old um, man who no one will know that he's missing it or that he's dead because he's on this street one day and on that street another, and, there, you know, no one, that, that will be also the kind of victim that they take for their sacrifices. How long have you been actively um, dealing with uh, victims? Um, uh, I w well, it's a, a little over 10 years that I've been okay. doing it with uh, what I would say is some reasonable level of knowledge. Before that, I had some victims, um, and I did not understand the depths of this stuff, you know, just how much really happens and how... Uh, extensive the dissociation is and and looking back over my history of doing therapy because I started in the mid 70s as an art therapist I, I didn't become a psychologist till 86 okay and um, so I, I look back at the at, at the people that I've worked with over 30 years and um, can see who now now can understand, oh, my God, that was a ritual abuse victim, and I didn't know it. I, di I didn't know they were dissociative. That's why they were acting that way. That's why that boy was so terrified. That's why he was smearing feces all over the walls of the, of the room. I, I look back and, and can diagnose what I couldn't diagnose then. Well, then let me ask you, are you seeing an increase, either because there are uh, more populous uh, subjects having been victimized, or is there, quote, better reporting? I mean, you never know what to believe. But from your standpoint, from what you've seen over the last 10 years or so, uh, is there any kind of trend that you can identify? Oh, over these 10 years? Um, I, gu I guess there's somewhat of a, of a slight trend toward people reaching out for help more. Uh, um, I guess the Internet's probably been really, really helpful. Um, I, I 
think that as much disinformation that has been spread to try to make people believe it's all false memories and therapists put these ideas in people's minds and none of it is real, there's so much good, credible information about the reality of this now that um, I, I know that that helps people. And then very, very possibly the demise of a lot of these groups um, because their prophecies did not bear out at all uh, is, is potentially causing a lot more people to, to seek help. I want to tell folks you're listening to The Grassy Knoll. We have with us Dr. Ellen Lachter out of uh, U California at San Diego, uh, clinical psychologist that works with um, ritual abuse victims. Uh, she's been on before. Uh, we also want to say that we are coming to you from the courtesy of remnantradio.org out of Boulder City, Nevada. We thank Paul Pilgrim for that. Um, Doc, uh, and, and also I want to say that... I have to, I have to uh, clarify something. For oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Do it. I, I um, run a certificate program for the extension program at University of California, San Diego. I'm not actually on the faculty of the university itself. I run a program, um, a continuing ed program for therapists that are getting continuing education, but I'm not a university professor. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> no, I understand why you have to uh, specify. That's great, and thank you for doing that. Yes. Um, and, but we applaud you for the work you do. Uh, her website is Truth Be Known, and it's, it's a really long URL. So what I would tell people to do is go to Visigoth.com. On the home page under um, Upcoming Shows, uh, Dr. Lachter's there. Her website's there. So click on that and see all that's there because it's really an extensive uh, website. And so, uh, yeah, Doc, I understand why you have to specify on that. Um, but let me ask you this. It's a tough, it's a tough field you're in. Um, what what drives you on? I mean, I would I would say this to you: there can't be many victories. So respond to that. I, I hope I'm wrong. It's it's hard. One, it's a long road. Um, it's incredibly exciting when it happens. Um, uh, you know, when most, I'm in this the same way most therapists who are in this got there. Uh, you, you have a case, in my case it was a child case, uh, where I was working with these children and trying to help them heal from what happened to them, and um, the magnitude of what happened I started comprehending over time, and the amount that they went through, uh, and my desire to do something for, you know, to fight this. Um, you know, if you have a heart at all, you're going to, you can't let it go. You just, I, I don't believe it's right to let it go. But, I mean, if I were in your shoes, okay, and you probably have great more timber than I do, but, um, you know, when you come home, can you can you just let it go? No. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, you know what you're dealing with, so let me let me just ask you, I mean, how much can you drop at the door when you leave every night I don't <laughs> you can't really can you no no it's um, it's very very painful stuff. Uh, when the person is able to really um, you know get past the programming to never remember and never tell and when you work a way out with them to be able to to know what happened without triggering that program, and you and you find out the horror involved in what was done, the, the brutality and cruelty and the manipulation and the, the whole thing uh, is really sickening. I, I used to um, have to not schedule anybody after I would work with a client with this kind of abuse that I have to that would be the end of my day and I'd have to go walk around for a while just to kind of walk it off and get okay again and uh, when I work with that kind of stuff uh, at the end of the day I'm exhausted in a very different way than I mean normally normal you know clients where it's not this depth trauma mm -hmm. I'm just fine you know I feel you know energy good you know alive and just not worn out. I feel just fine at the end of the workday, but 
this stuff is real, real, real painful. It makes you, you know, makes you want to go to bed and cry, um, which is okay. You know, uh, I'm willing to do that. <laughs> well, what what kind of support do you get from, um, I guess, the psychology uh, community um, at large? In other words, I'm I'm going to guess that this probably is a little bit too messy for a lot of, of folks in academia. Maybe I'm wrong, but. Um, you know, how is this looked at, and do you have any support as far as uh, dealing with these individuals? Um, most therapists in any given community who are doing this work hook up with each other. And um, I was in a group for a while where uh, we met once a month with a bunch of therapists, and we would all, you know, try to learn from each other about how would you handle this, how would you handle that. Um, there is, we, we get a lot of support from each other online. Um, there, are, there, are many, there are many physicians and many therapists who are involved in this underworld. So there are, there are bad guys. I mean, just, and, and the, the abuser groups raise their children to be positioned in the therapy community to be positioned in law enforcement, to be positioned to child protective services, to be um, physicians and nurses and all of those things so that they can um, suppress the evidence of this stuff or and so that they can uh, suppress the truth. So, you know, the media is another place where children are raised to take positions so that they can write all kinds of articles saying, you know, this is all untrue, the therapist planted the memories, etc. So um, there's the disinformation group. There's, unfortunately, a lot of therapists who have gotten the only information that they have about ritual abuse from the disinformation campaign in the newspapers, which is very frustrating to me because mm -hmm. psychologists and therapists are not supposed to learn psychology from the newspaper. They're supposed to learn it from scholarly sources and, uh, for instance, dissociation. I mean, the uh, media made it look like that was a very, very rare disorder and that it was created by, that the belief that it was there was created by therapists. And um, so a lot of therapists just reading the newspaper, you know, if somebody would come in and have symptoms that I would recognize immediately as a dissociative and as a person having dissociative personalities, like talking about oneself in the first person plural, we. <laughs> we went to the grocery store, we drove here, we went here, you know. Right. Uh, those kinds of things that would um, make me go, oh, okay, time to ask questions to see what's going on with that. These people would, you know, immediately so long it just can't be mm -hmm. so um you know that's a problem but but uh, okay the, the good part is i would say the um the scholarly work on dissociation um is the cutting edge of the trauma literature it it is the uh there are there's incredible research going on um the fact that dissociation is such a huge part of the trauma reaction is uh, lots of excellent research and theory and how to treat stuff is, is out there now. So that has become really good. Now, that community, many people in that community know that ritual abuse is real. Unfortunately, because of the whole propaganda campaign in the mid-90s, mid a lot of those people are afraid to public, publicly speak about the fact that they know ritual abuse is real because there were so many lawsuits and there was so much discrediting of professionals in newspapers, etc. So um, I, I, I'm hoping that um, now that we know how to protect ourselves legally much better than we did in the mid-90s, that people will again, again step forward like I have uh, to publicly say, I know this is real. Um, I want to give people a chance, a last chance, in fact, because we have just about 14 minutes left, that if they want to um, uh, table any kind of question or comment, um, to do so now at visigoth at hotmail.com. That's V-Y-Z-Y-G-O-T-H. 
or you can instant message at AOL, WDCF, 1350, uh, or you can call in on 352-567-1009. Now, having said that, um, Doc, we've kind of like skirted the issue, not that you have, but I have, but can you give us a cross-section, and I don't mean to be tawdry, but I mean, give people an idea of what's going on out there about the kind of um, damage that human beings have incurred. Um, can, you know, can you do that? I mean, are we talking about sexual abuse? Uh, you know, what is what is a gamut of what you have to deal with? We're talking about torture, uh, torture from from infancy, and very often, unfortunately, all the way through adulthood. So, you know, the thirty-five or forty-five-year-old client that may come in uh, for therapy uh, with dissociated personalities and start to realize about the sexual abuse perhaps that went on in their family uh, and eventually um, starts realizing that there was a ritualistic element to it, which basically means that their abusers were involved in some kind of spiritual agenda that involved hurting people and sacrifice and all of that. Um, Very often those people find out in the course of therapy that they're still being abused, that they're that personalities within them are still involving them in this abuse because the programming was done so effectively that these personalities are sort of maybe in a robot-like sense, um, still obeying, or maybe um, maybe those maybe the cult succeeded in what they truly wanted to create, which is a personality who buys in to the whole thing. Now, underneath the buying in is usually tremendous terror and years and years of programming to make sure they never defied. Huge punishment, electroshock, being hung, uh, chemicals that create horrible burning sensations on the skin, drugs that create horrible states, drowning, uh, suffocation and resuscitation right before death. You know, just horrible forms of torture every time the person does not completely comply. So, for instance, uh, a simple example would be if a child says something, um, says something leaking a little tiny something to a teacher or to some a neighbor or whatever, there would be huge punishment for that mm-hmm. within a ritual. Uh, when you talk about... Um almost the, someone brought to the brink of death and resuscitated right. this, this happens time and time again to this individual this isn't just like a one-time experience right that's right it's oh geez. i mean how god how can they and and how old might these people be are they children necessarily um yes it's oh. it, it, it's um to put in the level of programming to create these really walled off parts I believe that that's got to be done very very early Um, uh, you couldn't start I don't think you could start at age 4 maybe probably not age 5 probably not age 4 so so in other words these individuals these almost infants have to be brought up thinking this is like almost like usual I mean normal that the dissociated part perceive that as life, yes. Yeah, because if that's your reality, well, you know, what else, you know, is there? And yeah, and that's that's the horror of the whole thing. Um, you know, everybody that that personality is around believes in, you know, this enormous power of Satan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, how is a child supposed to question that? You know, how's that part supposed to question that? Plus, they're terrorized into believing it, and every time they don't do exactly what they are told to do, which often includes hurting other people and very often includes hurting people who they care about, um, then, you know, then, then, then they're punished even worse. So it's like, you know, stay up, you know, but, 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 <laughs> one of my clients told me, that, that she reached the point where she knew that the new pet that they gave her was a pet she'd have to kill. 
So they, they set you up to love something and then they, right. kill it. Yeah, it's just just so evil. That that's the kind of stuff that messes me up. Is when I when I hear those kinds of things, particularly when I hear a new one. So in other words, if I know of that of that kind of of some kind of evil um, already, I I'm better off than when I hear about a whole new horrible thing and I just like devastated. How how did how did they think of that? Who could think of something like that? What drives that? You know, it's just sickening. I just want to. You want to reject the reality. You do. I, I guess I experience what the people who don't want to believe this experience in a way because it's like it's just I, it's just so horrible. You just want to you want to not believe it. But then again, when somebody is explaining it and they're re-experiencing the difficulty breathing and the, having the pain in the part of the body where their where their arm was held down and the emotion is real and the whole thing fits together and it's the same kind of ritual you heard about from another client a year before you know you know it's real when you were going through your uh, academic experience from your masters uh, through your PhD mm. at the time you were doing that did you have any inkling of what was really happening out there? No, not at all. I, I would have never... We, we didn't... When I went, we didn't even learn about dissociation. Uh, when I went to graduate school, I, I finished my PhD in 84. We didn't even learn... Um, I mean, there might have been an elective class that I didn't take that happened to touch on it, but um, that wasn't part of the curriculum. You know, I would say most graduate programs have a, a course in um, family violence now, child abuse and domestic violence. That's pretty standard. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and at, do most of them have a class in trauma, per se? I, I don't know. And if they did, that I mean, that, I, I think that should be required. I, I believe that, uh, I would say, I believe more than half of all psychological problems are trauma-based. But, I mean... What an avowal if, if any academic institution would turn around and say, okay, we have courses for uh, occult ritual abuse. That, that isn't really happening, is it? Um, I, it's not happening um, within the grad school. Um, it's happening a little bit on the continuing education level. For okay. But even there, it's sort of disguised. So, for instance, it might, it, it, we have a lot of good continuing, continuing education available on dissociative disorders and dissociative identity disorder and how to treat it and dissociation in general. We have a lot of good continuing education. I have, um, for instance, I, there's one person who teaches that a lot and I have gone to classes by that person where that person did not talk about ritual abuse at all because there were maybe 50 people in the room and I think that person was afraid there could be negative repercussions. But when there was a group of only 20 people in the room and some of the people in the audience brought it up and nobody seemed to have a really negative reaction, right. and the speaker was willing to go into that. So everybody's still being very careful. But I don't think we need to be as careful as... I think people do not need to be as careful as they're being. I think that, you know... You know about the lawsuits in the mid-90s? Uh, no. Okay. What happened was... Um, a lot of therapists were sued by their patients for implanting false memories. Oh, regressive, yeah, okay, right. But a, a lot of that was set up. So, um, for instance, I know of a story where um, one patient was in an inpatient unit in a hospital and was working on their ritual abuse trauma in the hospital, and when that person went home from the hospital, there was an inch-thick packet in their mail from a high-profile organization that I'm not going to name that was touting that this is all implanted memories by therapists, an inch-thick packet on how to sue your therapist for implanting memories. Okay. So you got a, a person who's, you know, been abused their whole life and they're destitute and, you know, barely getting through the day and still, you know, going through a lot of trauma and somebody cho shows them a way to earn a million dollars and... Maybe they're also still being abused by their cult, and maybe the cult is still telling is telling them to sue the therapist. So there were a lot of lawsuits, but they 
got therapists mostly for um, maybe in an incomplete record keeping. So, you know, maybe the chart note didn't always include some kind of reassessment of the functioning or, you know, it's just a dot the I, cross the T type of stuff that a lot of people got nailed on. But it started with the false memory thing. And there were some where there were some successful false memory lawsuits. Um, but we've learned as a profession to be a lot more careful now. So we, for instance, um, we give informed consent to our clients that explain that memory can be influenced by this, this, and that, and that it's not our job as a therapist to say this memory is true, that memory is true. Our job is to help the person heal from the trauma they experience and from their subjective experience of whatever happened, but that we're not saying that these things are true or false. So um, we've learned all kinds of ways to not be trapped by this false memory stuff anymore. Um, is there an age group that is um, um, more involved in this? Uh, are, are young kids uh, probably most susceptible, or do you, are you dealing with people who are older? How does that go? Or maybe that they start at an early age and only look for help later on. Uh, what do you see r with regarding to that demographic? Exactly the last thing that you said. Um, the abuse always starts very early, so they can have completely dissociated personalities. And while those children are um, being raised, which is usually by their cult families, um, they do not leak at all because they have no independence. They're completely dependent on their abusers. Sometimes it's just one parent, but still, that's quite a lot of dependence. And... Um, it seems that the dissociative barriers for women uh, tend to start breaking down um, in their 30s and for men a little later. But, um, <laughs> you with us, Doc? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we've got to wrap it up. we got about uh, 50 seconds left. Okay, well, I have to say, um, but there is a trend going on where younger people are, are remembering now. Okay. I don't know if that's because we have the good media, um, the good uh, presence on the Internet. All right, Doc, listen, thanks very much for being with us. An hour does fly by. We thank you for re revisiting the grassy knoll and, uh, you know, spending the time you have to on a very uh, unpleasant subject. But we thank you so much that you're on the front lines for doing that. Thank thanks you. for coming back again. Uh, I'm sure we're going to talk again. God bless you and good night. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.